Amen. Good morning. How's everybody doing? It's a good Sunday, 9 a.m. You guys showed up today, huh? There's a couple new people here at 9 o'clock, and I think there's maybe 10 of us. So I told you, those of you that were new, it would fill up around 9.15. So thank you guys for showing up. Appreciate it. Um, because there are a lot of new people, I thought I'd just share just briefly about what Sunday's about for us. This is uh, an event where we as the people of God come together to worship the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so we set up a bar, um, we dim the lights, we put crosses around the room, and we sing songs. Some of you have never heard these songs before, but for us, these are ways that we can pull our heads up to be reminded that we're not God, but that there is a God and that He's worth singing songs about, He's worth waking up about, He's worth coming together and, and reminding each other that what our purpose is and what, who He is um, and what He's done for us. And so that's what Sundays are about. It's a place of worship. Um, so we do, we take communion, we pray, and we teach the Bible. And for us, the Bible is the authority here. Um, we are singing in the Spirit. And uh, there are songs, you, you could tell that there's some heaviness as we sing songs like How He Loves Us. For many of us, if you're like me, you just don't believe it. There's a list that comes up in your mind that says, there's no way He could love me that, like that. Um, and, and, but we, we come together simply to remind ourselves that actually He does. And the God that made all of the heavens and the earth um, and who made you, uh, with your personality, with your talents, with your gifts, with your mind, with your beauty, um, he, he delights in you and He loves you. And so I just thought I'd remind you of that. But also, that's what Scripture says. And for us, this is where we go to and we teach out of this. And so today, we're going to teach through Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, um, let's, let's open up to Ephesians chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there's some Bibles around the room. They're green. Um, we're we're going to be reading um, a couple of passages today to kind of talk through this. We are in the middle of a series on Ephesians. Um, and Ephesians is written by a guy named Paul. As you pull up your, your phone, if you have an app, or as you grab a Bible, um, I'll just give you a little intro about Ephesians. Ephesians was written by a guy named Paul. He was an apostle. He wrote to the church um, in Ephesus, which would be modern-day Turkey today. And really the church is around Asia Minor, which is kind of that, that area of Turkey today, um, in 60 AD-ish. So nearly 2,000 years ago, he writes uh, the letter of Ephesians to that church, which was designed to be a letter for new Christians. So what we read today is designed for those that are new to the faith to be taught what you do with your faith. What do you do now that you believe that there's a God and His name's Jesus and He's tri a triune and He's an active participant in creation and He has a plan for the future? What do you do with that faith now that you have it? And how do you live? And so Ephesians is six chapters, two different parts. Part one, who you are because of what God has done. So part one is what God's done for you. And uh, part two is what you do in view of who God is. So what, what we do now that God has done something for us. And, and we keep talking about this. It's, it's really important that we grab this because this is the gospel. The gospel is that God's done something for us. He's done everything He can to, so that we can enter into a relationship with Him. We're going to learn about that today, that there's nothing we could do to earn it or deserve it or prove it except receive it, and that's faith. And so the gospel of Ephesians is simply God's done all of this for you. This is now you live a response, in response to what God's done for you. Um, and so we'll get to the second chapter or the second part, which will be chapters 4 through 6 in a couple of weeks. Um, but we're in chapter 2. It begins with, uh, with Paul writing to the church. He calls them holy and blameless. So if you come to faith 
in Christ, you are not seen as a sinner anymore. Your life is hidden in Christ. What that means for those of us that are following Jesus is simply this. That list that we carry around, that insecurity, that fear of God's judgment and anger towards us does not exist in God's world. That's good news. When you accept Jesus, it doesn't matter what you did yesterday or five hours ago. God doesn't see what you see. That's really good news. And then it continues on and and Paul gives us a, a, a selection of Scripture from uh, verse 3 to 14, he, talks, uh, he gives us a passage on worship, this defining God's plan and for the cosmos and what we are in Christ. And last week I talked about God, uh, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians church, which was a three-part prayer. He prayed that the church would know God better through the Spirit, that they would know the hope that they're called to in the future, and that they would know the power in the present moment for circumstances today. That they would know God, know the future, know the hope they have in the future, and know the power in the present. That's where we are, and now we read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Are you with me? All right, six of us, let's do this. Um, This, what Paul's writing here is for those that have made a, a confession in Jesus. This section is a declaration of what happens when you give your life to Jesus. It says, as for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Disobedient, excuse me. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. What does that mean? Following that that third shot of tequila last night that subscription to those magazines that you know are not appropriate the 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 sites that you went to the other day that that just pop up and just follow it from facebook onto the other site the lie that you told the exaggeration of truth it wasn't a lie per se it was just an elevation of what really happened to make yourself look better the pride that says you, can, you know better, you can do better, the, the pride of seeking your pleasure in life, the, the dreams that you have that get in the way of what God has for you. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Wrath isn't the feeling you get when someone cuts you off or when you stub your toe. Wrath is the expression for justice you need when you hear about a child being sold into sex prostitution. That's the wrath of God. It's not some anger that He has. It's justice. Because we are designed to live in perfection, God is against anything that's outside of perfection. But, there's a giant but in verse 4. And this is a huge one, and it caused me to sit over here as I was reading this. I just began to weep because it hit me. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. While you were looking on the TV, while you were confessing a lie, while you went a little too far with your girlfriend, He made you alive with Christ. When we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ in order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparably the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God and of God. Not by works so that, you, that, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Lord, Thank you, Jesus, that this is your gospel message. I thank you, Lord, that you knew us so well that we couldn't do it on our own, that you had to do it for us. That if left to myself, I would choose something else. I would choose myself, I would choose lust, I would choose pride, I would choose lies, I would choose deceit, I would choose worshiping whatever I could see and whatever feels good in the moment because I'm so whimsical, but that you gave us Jesus and you gave us grace and you give us this word to learn about you and how to live in response to your grace. I pray, Jesus, for the grace to grasp the, the significant text to know what is your word and to respond as your body in your name. Amen. Excuse me, I'm shaking not because I'm cold or hungry, <laughs> but this hit me. So hey, um, to grasp this passage, let's go to Genesis chapter 1. I just want to teach through this um, and, and really we'll see where we land, but I'm just going to teach this text as best as I can. Genesis 1 verse 1. There's a couple of words that are used in this text that frame the rest of the book for, of Ephesians for us. And um, it's a word that Paul uses at the end uh, in verse 10. And it's the word handiwork. Um, but go to Genesis chapter 1. I want to show you where this word comes from. Genesis 1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the, the earth. Say the word barah. Bar One more time, barah. That's a Hebrew word for created. And it's God's raw, majestic powerful creative energy and power when he speaks creation the heavens and the earth into existence the word is bara and it's never used to describe hu humans ability to create it's only used to describe god's ability to create bara so it, it describes all of creation god speaking the world into existence skip over to verse 27 of chapter 1 um in your, in your green Bibles, it might be on the same page. Verse 27, So God created Barah, mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He barah them. Male and female, He created them. Three times the word Barah comes up from Genesis 1, verse 27. This is God's creative, raw power expressed in imprinting, imprinting the identity of humanity. In His image, He created, He barred them. So it refers to the cosmos of God's ability to create, and it refers to God creating humanity in His own image. This is what God can do alone. This is the Hebrew word for a Greek word that Paul uses. Go to Romans chapter 1. Just trying to give you some, some uh, biblical landscape here. Romans uh, comes before Corinthians. Um, somewhere, my Bible is 1120. 
It's going to have it. Hopefully, you have the same Bible. Verse 20 of chapter 1. Paul is writing to the, a different church, the church in Rome. And uh, he explains that basically all of us are um, created with this intuitive sense that there is something bigger in the world. Paul, Paul is, is reasoning with people, saying that every, there's, not, there's no such thing as an atheist. In fact, that's a whole, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip that. I'm going to keep moving. There's no such thing as an atheist. It's, isn't it interesting to be an atheist? You have to reject a God. You can't just be original enough. Sorry, if you are an atheist, I totally understand. I was there in my college years. But I discovered that actually, um, um, to have, you need more faith to be an atheist than you do to be a Christian. Because Christianity is, is developed over history, in history, over a long period of time. And for me, I believe that there are answers in the world. And Paul writes that we are all born with an intuitive sense that there is a greater power out there. And so he's writing in, in, in Romans chapter 1 that, and he says this, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being misunderstood from what has been made, highlight made, so that people are without excuse. The word made is the, the Greek word for the Hebrew word, bara, and the Greek word is poema. Say poema. And it's obviously where we get the word poem or poetic. And this word in Greek, if, if bara is God's majestic, raw, creative power, speaking the universe into existence and imprinting identity into humanity, poema has a more of an artistic um, nuance, more of a sculpting nuance, more of a perfecting, a... a um, more of a uh, creative power in the sense that it's specific and it's unique and God is, 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 um, is perfecting creation. He's, you could say that Poema is talking about uh, God's artwork. So bara, creative, majestic, raw power, Poema, God's sculpting art in creation. Are you with me? So we read... Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. I just want to highlight a couple of things. It says, You were dead in transgressions and sins, verse 1, in which you used to live in the ways of the world and the kingdom of the air and the spirit is at work in the disobedient. You lived among them at one time, gratifying your cravings of the flesh. And it's just, if you're here for the first time and you're reading this, it just sounds like this text is so important, but you miss What's going on? Would you agree? Even as Christians, as I've read this this week over and over and over again, I really didn't grasp the significance until I sat here as I heard how He loves us and I read this text realizing that this is a miracle and grace is a big deal that we need to grasp. The point of this text is this. When Paul uses the image of being dead, he means that you are trapped, you are disabled, you are encapsulated because of the sin in your heart, the sin in your life, and the sin in the world. What is sin if you're new to this thing? And you might have heard it on the news or heard some Christian yelling it at you, at you when you're at um, maybe Huntington Beach or something. But sin, the word it means to miss, mar- miss the mark. That God designed humanity, humanity to live in perfect relationship with God, with ourselves, with each other, and with all of the world. And so if you could look in your life at ways that you've been neglecting your relationship with God, that you've harmed your relationship to yourself, eating disorders, identity issues, insecurity, pride, or relationship to other people, 
I just got cussed out by some of the people outside on the way into church this morning. Somebody harmed me. <laughs> um, anyways, that's, that's still fresh on my mind. He also threatened to kill me. So that was a total... Welcome to the garden, inner city church. How have you harmed re- your relationship to other people and, or the world? How have you participated in the destruction of the earth? If you could agree to any of those things, then yes, you too are a sinner like me. But, so what God says, or what Paul is saying is that you were enslaved um, to sin and that separated you from God. And here's what he's saying, but God, His, his character, His nature is rich in mercy and as an act of grace has made us, for those of us that confess Jesus Christ, alive in Jesus Christ. That, that is a gift. That grace is extended to us as a gift. And we receive this inheritance as, uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. When we confess our belief and our, we follow Him with our lives, that we receive this gift of, of right relationship with God. Grace is central to our understanding as Christians. Uh, and this passage means that God has brought you into right relationship with Him and it is a gift and that your relationship with God through Jesus is not anything you could have done. You couldn't do this through karma. You couldn't do this by climbing some religious ladder or by doing a bunch of good deeds. Um, you couldn't do anything to prove, earn, or impress, deserve, or show God how great you are, but that God acts on His be- own behalf for us and gives us grace right relationship to Him. And grace, if you want to define it, is God acting in our life to accomplish what we could never accomplish on our own. Grace is God acting in our life to accomplish what we cannot do on our own. We are saved into our relationship through what God has done through Jesus Christ on the cross. And all we have to do is receive that gift. That's what Paul's saying. You can't boast about anything because this is all about God and what He's doing and what He's done for us to put us into right relationship with Him. And everyone that confesses Jesus, we can say, Amen. This is good news. Would you agree? This is great news. But Paul ties, go to the end of the verse, um, verse, uh, verse 10. Paul ties this word poema into all of that. So we've, we usually, as Christians, we stop right there and we sing songs about grace that go, that's through faith that God saves us and we just stop. That yes, the work's been done and we just sit with that, that understanding. And most of us, if you've grown up in the American church, we, we have this weird theology that says, great, now we're saved and we're just waiting, living our lives like we normally would um, before Christ so that one day we can get zapped up into heaven, Right? This is the trauma of the Left Behind series. That is a false theology. That is not biblical at all. I'm just going to say it with confidence. As Nicolas Cage comes out with the new Left Behind series, the $15 million movie coming out soon, and Christian, it's going to be in an uproar um, because people get freaked out about that stuff. God's design is not to zap us out of here. Do you know this? In fact, you can see this in Paul's writing. It says this, Not by works so that you can boast... For we are God's piece of art. We are God's work of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we're saved not just to sit with these tickets to go to some distant disembodied evacuation plan left behind. But we're saved to become a piece of art 
Paul uses the word poema, which only refers to what God can do, not what we can do. God is sculpting, perfecting us into a piece of art for the purpose of being put on display for the world to see who God really is through our good works and deeds. You're saved to serve. You're saved to work. You're not working to be saved. You are saved to serve the world. You with me? This is the logic of, logic of the gospel. So Paul says you were dead, but now you're alive. And God is fine-tuning you and sculpting you into someone who is beautiful and designed for good works. That you're God's work of art put on display to partner with Him in the renewal of all things. Good news. Now, um, a little bit of context because I love getting into the history. Uh, I keep talking about this false god named Artemis. I talk about it every time I preach. This god uh, is a combination of two gods in ancient Near East culture. Ephesus was the epicenter for Artemis worship. Okay, she had a, a, a temple that was 70,000 acres. Uh, 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 every year there was a festival where 750,000 people would flood to the city of about 250,000 to worship Artemis. And that was primarily done through temple prostitution. Okay, she was the god of fertility and reproduction. Um, and it was the combination of the Greek god Diana and the, the Asian, um, Asia Minor god who was found in Sardis, Kibbola. So the Romans put them together and Artemis was uh, a god that they worshipped and she was worshipped all throughout Ephesus and Asia Minor. She was, uh, Ephesus was wealthy, it was a trade city and people would worship her. Now, Ephesus was also a Greek Hellenized city. What does that mean? Well, when uh, Alexander the Great conquered all over the world, he didn't want to just con uh, create conquest. He wanted to convert the world to become Greek. So he wanted them to speak Greek. He wanted them to worship the Greek gods. He wanted to have the culture that the Greek culture had. So he built gymnasiums. They built gods and worshipped all sorts of things. And pr uh, the, the primary uh, worship that happened with the Greeks was they worship perfection. They worship all sorts of gods, but they worship the human body. And they created art and sculptures to, to show the perfect human body and the perfect gods. And there are all sorts of statues all over Ephesus. And let me give you a couple of pictures of what Artemis looked like. Here's a picture of Artemis, a statue. She's beautiful, ain't she? Um, now, people don't know if those are eggs symbolizing reproduction or fertility um, are there a lot of kids in this room? Are there kids? Okay, one of the things that happened... Okay, there are a couple of kids. Um, earmuffs, okay? Here we go. Um, one of the things that would happen is this. Only women could worship, be priests to Artemis, okay? If you wanted to be a priestess or a priest and you're a man, you had to castrate yourself. And every year you would throw your male member on the statue of Artemis. So that also symbolizes that. That's how dominant this culture was with the worship of Artemis. Now, let's show a couple other pictures. Um, here's another statue of Artemis. Go ahead to the next one. There's a coin of Artemis. So it's literally all over, um, all over the world. You would have, so here's what's going on. Here's why it's important to know this. So imagine, have you, if for those of us that have been around the world and been to uh, Hindu cultures, there's literally statues everywhere of different gods. Now imagine living in the first century in Ephesus, being taught that perfection is, uh, or you're called to worship perfection, and that you were, you were in a city that literally the main trade was slave trade, and, um, uh, and, and um, idol makers. 
They literally made statues of art to gods. And so in Ephesus, you have this paradigm that says if you have any deformity, blemish, or broken part of your body, you're not perfect. You're not good enough. And you're literally shown by this, these false idol makers what art looks like. And you know exactly what arts are. You have all these people making um, art to the gods. And Paul writes to this house church and they're surrounded by people who make art to gods and says this. Paul says, the one true God makes art of people. In a world that says you're not good enough because you don't have enough power, enough money, you don't look pretty enough, you're not beautiful, you're too skinny, you're too fat, you're not strong enough, Paul says God makes art out of you. It's good news. Can we relate to Ephesus? Do we, do we need to tie in how our culture elevates those that are skinny, those that don't look like they have meat on their bones, and women begin to mutilate them, their bodies to try to become like the culture icon. Do you know what I'm talking about? Men, that culture says success looks like this. And if you're not this, you're not good enough. And we can just go off on the list. And God says, Paul says that God is making art out of us, our lives. That we're not defined by a culture We're defined by our God and what He says about us. That you are God's artwork being sculpted for a purpose. Now we can end there because this is such good news. We can end there going, God's forming a new creation out of us. And and think about how great of news that sounds for those of us that are on a third marriage. That God is sculpting us, perfecting us, making us beautiful. A new creation, 2 Corinthians will say out of us. He's doing that work for those of us that are in our third marriage or in the midst of a divorce, those of us that do struggle with body image issues, those of us that are prideful and stuck up, those of us that are addicted to alcohol. In the midst of five months being sober, he says, Barah, new creation. But it doesn't end there. (laughs) And it, it would be enough to say as a church, yes, guys, can we live in this identity? Can we, can we put aside all, that, all those false gods we worship? Can we put aside those, those insecurities that are causing us to starve ourselves? The pursuit of the American dream. Can we kill the American dream for the love of God? That two cars, two and a half kids, a white picket fence is no longer the answer. That consumerism is killing the church. It'd be enough for us to say, what are the ways in your life you need God to speak Barah, Poema over you? That's amazing. But Paul continues, because the church is not designed to simply look at its belly button and say, woe is me, I need to understand that I'm being created in a new image. Some of you are there this morning, stay there. The rest of us, part two, created for good works being crafted to do good deeds with God. Not to be saved by works, but because we were saved, we respond with all we have and say, how do I live now that God is doing all this good stuff for me? How do I live now in response to grace? Paul is Jewish. 
right? So he's writing from a Jewish context, a Jewish mindset. And central to the Jewish perspective is the idea that the Jewish community must keep the commandments of God. Okay, so we have the whole Old Testament. That if the Israelites are to be the, the kingdom of priests, the holy nation, they are to observe um, the commandments, they are to walk with God. And the word command or commands is this word mitzvot. Mitzvot. Say mitzvot. Mitzvot is this word that means command or commandment in, in the, the Hebrew thinking. And it, it means good works. And central to following the, the commandments of God is that the Jewish community were to walk with God in everyday life doing good deeds. And when they did their good deeds, they were simply doing what God wanted them to do in the first place. So when you read the commandments, a lot of them deal with caring for the orphan, taking care of the widow, loving their neighbors. That mitzvot, good deeds, was how they would survive, how they were to obey the commandments of God. This was central to the Jewish community. And when Paul writes to the church, he's using this Hebrew understanding of law, not in rituals or sacrifices or anything like that, but now that we've been saved to put God on display and do the things that He would do with our good deeds. Not by traveling overseas and doing some extraordinary thing, but literally in the ordinary life that you have as you go out today, God is wanting you to do good things, to partner with Him, to do the things that He would do on behalf of Him. So the church is designed to be sculpted and perfected into God's creative power and essence and piece of art for the purpose of living a life of, of good deeds in response. Are you with me? Let's just flip around a couple of passages so we can land, okay? Go to Hebrews chapter 10. I just want to show you um, where this comes out. Hebrews 10 um, there's a lot of debate on who wrote the book uh, Hebrews, this letter. And whoever she was, I'm sure she was really important. Um, I think Priscilla wrote it, and uh, you can debate me all you want. There's plenty of evidence to, that cites a woman wrote this, this letter, which is amazing. Verse 24, as this person writes to talk about the church, it says, And let us consider how we may spur Chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Good deeds is essential to what the church is designed to, designed to be. I'm just going to pick a couple more. James, chapter 2. Um, James, chapter 2, verse 14. I'm just going to read this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but, have, but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and, warm and be well fed, but there's nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Even the demons believe there is a God and shudder. Faith without action is dead. It's this concept God's done all of this. He's given us grace and faith. And now we live in response with our actions in our daily lives. Mitzvot. First Peter. Does anyone else like that word, mitzvot? First Peter chapter 2. This one kills me. And I'll tell you why it kills me. First Peter 2.12. Live such good lives among the pagans 
that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds, mitzvot, and glorify God on the day He visits us. Peter writes this passage during the time that Emperor Nero uh, of, of, of the Roman Empire ruled. Emperor, Emperor Nero was called the Antichrist in the first century. He would literally have parties and he would tie Christians to these poles and light them on fire to light up his dinner parties in his garden. He would dress up in animals' clothes and nibble on Christians. He was psychotic, crazy. And there was a fire in Rome that destroyed a bunch of Rome. And to, to blame someone, he, he chose to blame the Christians. And so the Christians began to be persecuted under the Emperor Nero. And um, they were thrown into jail. They were thrown in the beasts. They were killed at Emperor Nero's parties. And Paul writes to them and says, Live such good lives that when you are accused by Nero... They will see such a life of devotion because you have acts of compassion and justice and love that they will ask and know that there is a God. Live in a way that reveals God through your actions. Could you imagine being the type of community that live violently opposing the culture we're in today? That when people saw how we live, not what we said, not what we preached on Sunday, not what we preached on the sides of the street, but saw how we lived, that the world would know that there is a God. That we chose to accept our identities and not self-destruct, and not live with the fleshly desires, but lived in a way that simply said we're worth something, not because of what we do, but because of who we are and what He says about us. And live in a way that shares so that there's no need among us that gives our resources, not because it's, we're told to give a 10%, but because in the community of God, it's not okay for those that have enough to not share with those that don't have enough. That when there's people in need, we, we show up. That people would just see how we care for each other. And from the outside looking in, going, there has to be a resurrected God named Jesus Christ. Look at how they live. That's what... Ephesians chapter 2 is about. That God's done all this stuff for us. Given us grace when we don't deserve it. Makes us alive in Christ, seats us with Christ, and does all of this to show us His blessing and riches in Christ so that we could be fine-tuned as pieces of art to be put on display for the world to see that there is a God. And the church shouldn't be the place of backbiting, gossiping, trash-talking. It's a place where we expose that brokenness, but it's an inclusive place where we say, everyone's broken here, welcome in. You have a need? Well, we take this thing called communion, where it's a bread that represents Jesus' body broken for us, and blood representing, or a blood, is juice representing His blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And in the church, you know, we take this as a symbol of what God's done for us, the forgiveness of our sins, and giving us everything He could possibly give so that we could be in right relationship with Him. Now, in the church, we do this as a symbol, but also in the church, it's clear that we should love each other in a way that the world sees that there's a God. And so as you come to the table... This morning, as we come to practice communion, I want you to think about the significance of what it means to eat a meal with somebody that doesn't have enough. 
what it means to partake in this act of worship, knowing that there are people in this room that don't have homes to live in. That there are people in this room that are going through dramatic divorces. There are addicts that need someone to call them on a daily basis just so they don't have a, a drink today. That there are people in our congregation that don't know where rent's coming this month, that have been jobless, that have been homeless, that have been without family, and the idea of having Thanksgiving alone is just what they've experienced for the past 20-something years of their life. And all it takes is someone looking at the crap cracker, dipping it into the juice, saying, it's not okay that we do this alone. You with me? So we sing songs, that's great. But we come together as the people of God and say, what are your needs? Let's make those needs met first. Then we can continue our service on Sunday. Amen? So in conclusion, um, you were once this, and now God's made you this. You can list all that stuff out all you want. God doesn't see it. He sees you as beloved, holy, blameless. You've died with Christ, risen with Christ, and you're seated with Christ right now. And when He comes in His glory, you will be shown in His glory. Colossians 3, your life is hidden in Christ. That's the truth of the Gospel. Also, where you are, where you are right now, there are things. There, I mean, last night, arguing, going on, bickering with my wife. We're stressed out, getting all this stuff done. And it just pops out. And of course that happens right before Sunday. There are things that I come into worship that I bring. I wasn't interruptible this week like I, was, I should have been. I was short here. I was quick here. I, I, should have, I, I should, 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 should not have. And that list, and God just says, Darren, I'm at work in you, making you a piece of art. Yes, I look in the mirror and all I see is failure, pride, insecurity, all the junk. God doesn't see that. So yes, we are God's handiwork. But as He works us out, He's designing us in our imperfection to do good works on behalf of Him. Amen. All right, let's pray. We'll continue our worship gathering. Um, I think some of you are being challenged um, by the idea that taking communion means participating in the body. You see, uh, it's, it's interesting. We don't do this every week, but as a church, we bring the cracker and the juice and we say this is a symbol that represents so much more. It's a... A, a symbol of grace. It's a symbol of forgiveness. It's a symbol of what God do, does on the cross, but it's a symbol of community. Do you realize this? That the church, when it first was birthed, it was designed to be the type of community, community, excuse me, that shared resources, shared meals, shared experiences, shared, shared prayer, shared burdens, shared worship, shared persecution together. If God's with us, who's against us? And if, if someone's against my friend here, and they're against me as well, are you with me? And for whatever reason, the institutionalized Church of America, we are part of the problem. We, we create these clubs that says you can come in, check out, and go on your merry way. But the church is so much more than that. It costs you something. So we pass a bucket for, for, for giving, but we take communion to remember what God did, but also as a symbol of what, what needs to take place here at 9 a.m., on Sunday morning, as you sit with people that you don't know, that have needs that you can meet. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. 
that the grace you extend to us is not earned that you love us as we are and not as we should be that you are crafting us to be pieces of artwork that is such good news thank you Lord and I pray Holy Spirit that you give us discernment on how to respond to this message to not put this in our mind and leave it unchecked but to respond to this that in fact it's because of great grace that we live a life of good deeds that we say our life is no longer our own it's been bought with a price what do you want to do with it are, are, is my dream of my life getting in the way of your dream for my life is my desire for more getting in the way of your desire for more Lord how might we respond as a, as a church that is led by your spirit pray that you teach us